and welcome to The World as We Know It, a history and geography podcast where you're invited to an audio tour of each of the world's 197 countries. My name is Kiki. And my name is Brad. And as always, we are your hosts. This week, our discussion is on the nation of... Guatemala! begin with some of our overall thoughts and initial familiarity ratings for her research. Brad, you start us off. All right. So for, for familiarity ratings, I'm going to give myself a, a four out of 10 for Guatemala. I've had Guatemala covered in a history class before. Um, some more recent history, some overthrow. I'm sure Tiki will talk about that. So yeah, a four. I put myself at a four too. Interesting. I think it's it's one of those countries that's you know closer to America. I've met people from Guatemala. Um, it's been something that, I mean, I feel like there's quite a few Guatemalan immigrants to the United States that help give us some more influence and give us a reason to learn more about it. So I do feel like it's one of those closer to home countries in Central America that I feel familiar with. Yeah. All right. Can you, Brad, give us a snapshot of the country before we get into the historical highlights? There's nothing I'd love more. So just for a quick snapshot, Guatemala is a Central American country south of Mexico, and bordered by Honduras, Belize, and El Salvador. The name, the official name, the Republic of Guatemala, originates from the, help me, Kiki, the yeah, Nahuatl. I'll, I'll take over this part because okay. I did it. Yeah. It's a Nahuatl word, Guatemalan, which means place of many trees. Thank you, Kiki. The motto, uh, Libre, Crezca, Fecundo, means liberty, growth, fertility. Um, the anthem is what you just heard a little bit of is El Paz. El Pais. El Pais. De la Eterna Primavera. So this, the unofficial name of this podcast is Bradley Butcher's Words. <laughs> this this other podcast is Kiki knows a little bit of Spanish and a little bit of French and therefore thinks she knows everything. But she's a godsend for it. Um, so we heard a little bit of that anthem. The government is a unitary presidential republic. We've had quite a few of those um, as far as governments go. The current president is Jimmy Morales. That's a great name for a president. Jimmy Morales is a great name for a soccer player, too. Jimmy Morales. Um, the official language is Spanish. Uh, the land area is 42,024 square miles. Population is 17 million. It's the 70th country ranked by GDP. And the major ethnic groups in Guatemala are the Mestizo, with 41.5% of the population. Indigenous peoples, with 41%. This includes the Quiche, right. the Cachiquel, uh, the Mom and the Maya, as well as the... I think it's Ke'echi. Ke'echi peoples. So those are the indigenous peoples groups. And European, which makes up 18%, which is a little higher than I thought it'd be. So that's yeah, interesting. Yeah, sure. Um, the religion in Guatemala is predominantly Catholic, with 45% of the population closely followed by Protestant Christian with 42% and no religion with 10%. Demonyms of people of Guatemala are Guatemalans or the Guatemaltec. Right. Another interesting thing about religion is that it used to be far more Catholic than it is now, but evangelical evangelists and missionaries have converted a large amount of the country from Catholicism to Protestantism in the past 30 years or so. Really interesting. Anything more on the snapshot I should get into? You know, n- no. 
All right, then take us back to Antipodi, Kiki. So uh, Guatemala goes back. You get this pretty far. (laughs) What? News to everybody. Countries are old. (laughs) What a good joke to have her crying on a podcast. Uh, But there's evidence of hunter-gatherers as early as 18,000 B.C., Maize cultivation, um, or corn, we're going to call it maize for the purposes of this podcast, uh, started as early as 3500 BC. Uh, and from this point, the history is divided into three periods uh, of ancient history. This is okay. the post-classic period, which is 2999 BC to 250 BC, the classic period, 250 BC to 900 CE, and the post-classic. These also correspond to the dates of the Mayan Empire, oh, neat. Cool. which we will find out is actually plays a huge role in Guatemalan history. And many of us know the Mayan and the Olmec people uh, through our studies in school. That's such a huge thing that I've learned. Hopefully the rest of you learn too. Uh, and we'll cover it a little bit in this podcast, but I think we'll get into it even more when we get into other Central American countries. Especially Mexico. If we have to, we'll do a special episode on Mayan civilization because it's that influential. Uh, but we also find in Guatemala that a large portion of the population today are descendants of the Mayan, are Mayan active people. It's fascinating. Anyway, so the pre-classic history of Guatemala mostly is kind of like like a prep, a prep history. So there's small villages, a few permanent buildings. They do find a lot of evidence of religious sites, altar ceremonial sites, ritual masks. A few larger cities, uh, and then leads us into the Monte Alto culture, which is a pre-Mayan, pre-Olmec culture, actually. It's extremely ancient in relativity to these major cultures. In the pre-Olmec, Monte Alto culture, we see giant stone heads similar to the Olmec, but not the same style, which is how we know that they're different. They likely used astronomy to track the stars, the position of the sun for agricultural purposes. And they had magnetic statues, which is kind of a big deal. What? If they did this on purpose, they would be the oldest magnetic artifacts in the world. But even without that, it's pretty incredible that they were doing this. They just don't really know what they were doing it for at this point. But giant magnet sculptures. That's what's up. All right. And then after the Monte Alto people come the Olmecs, which are pre-Mayan civilization. And their deal is that they have huge stone heads. Beautiful jade masks and art. There are. Do you have something to say, Brad? No, I just. I'm reading your notes and it's just. I'll, I'll get to it in a second. Keep okay, going. Okay, that's, that's fine. I got a little insecure for a second. <laughs> um, but they were using ceramics. They um, started to boost the agriculture in the area. They played ball games. They also had ritual sacrifice. Uh, from what we know, that's one of those things that is still being studied, what I understand. One of the statues they made. I have in my notes, which might be what Brad is looking at. This is um, it. You should look up Olmec fat boys. <laughs> <laughs> because there's, that's what they called them in the articles that I was reading. Um, but they're just these like happy fat boy statues. <laughs> I thought it said Olmec frat boys for a second. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I, I would say maybe maybe the Olmecs were frat culture. I've never been in fraternity, but I know you were. Yeah. How did you guys feel about ritual sacrifice? Um, we didn't partake in the ritual sacrifice, um, and our jade masks were not authentic jade. They were knockoff. So, it's, you know, I think the Olmecs were much more authentic than we were. Yeah, they were, they were definitely old school frat. Old, uh, old row for sure. Uh, but the Olmecs, in summary, lived in Guatemala and, and the surrounding areas, had a huge influence there, and they started building basically the areas that the Mayans would build upon. 
the Mayan people, I have in my notes, also a big fucking deal. As you've seen on iTunes, this is an explicit podcast. We don't hold back here. No, the deals are big and they're fucking. <laughs> uh, Guatemala is considered <laughs> the birthplace of the Mayan civilization. It's home to Tikal, the greatest Mayan city with, um, I have here also a big ass pyramid. <laughs> Kiki's quote, quote just, <laughs> notes are much more fun and explicit I've got than some mine. very colorful notes by comparison to Brad. Um, but they had a huge pyramid there. They're, it's ruins now, but they have some computer projections that show how big it would be. And it definitely rivals Egypt. Wow. And, I mean, because we've seen some of the pyramids in Mexico and places like that. This is even bigger, I would say. And there's also a settlement called El Mirador, uh, which is another significant settlement with these... I forget how they put them. But they were astrological points that indicated how deep the Mayan people were into math, astronomy, agriculture, and tracking their placement on the planet. We also all remember 2012 when the Mayans predicted we'd die. That was one thing they got wrong, but a lot of other a lot of other things were accurate. I heard someone say, like a Mayan expert, that it it was just how big the rock was that they stopped making this. That's what the I calendar. always thought when I got really <laughs> it was arbitrary yeah, preoccupied with the end of the world. I was like, maybe they just ran out of room. Anyway, as I mentioned before, Guatemala is still home to modern Mayans. They were able to maintain a lot of aspects of their culture by living in the mountainous regions of Guatemala. By, and that helped them to avoid Spanish colonizers, missionaries, and the diseases that were spreading during Spanish colonization, which we'll get into. So some of the ways they've been able to preserve that culture also is by incorporating it into Christianity, uh, blending languages of Spanish to be able to preserve what they can. Um, as we've mentioned in the previous week's podcast, this is a TCM, a total colonizer move total on the Spanish part. <laughs> uh, for cultures to preserve things in the face of great pressure to change everything about themselves. The classic period of the Mayans, cor- this corresponds to the height and the abundance of the Mayan Empire, so it's also considered the classical period of Guatemalan ancient history. They had super advanced city building. Uh, but one of the main things about the Mayan civilization is that it didn't progress beyond the Stone Age. So they weren't using hmm. metal technology. They weren't doing any kind of, what's it called when you forge two metals together? Any kind of metallurgy? Yeah, metallurgy. I think that works, which would be a signifier that they're progressing past what's immediately available in terms of stone things. Mostly yeah. their tools were Osbidian or wood or carved stone. The architectural progress, though, is, indicates that they were very advanced, especially for their areas, and that's not to be undermined. Actually, I went to a Mayan exhibit when I was living in Colorado, um, and I got to see a lot of their ancient art, and basically they had exhibits using some of the things they had, and it's just incredible. Super beautiful stuff. We're probably getting more about Mayans, as I've said literally minutes ago in the future, but we have to get forward on this podcast. We have a we limited sure amount of time. Uh, The Mayan civilization collapsed around 900 AD, and there's many theories for this collapse and why it happened, as with every empire or civilization, I would say. Uh, Some of the main theories right now include a a drought that made people flee the area, diseases, invasions, or collapsed trade routes that would cut them off from other parts of the civilization. It's also worth noting that they never came together really as one giant empire under one leader. The Mayan people were very separated from other cultures they were able to unite as one which may be one of the reasons they weren't able i don't know i'm not a historian but some people say that this may be why they weren't able to get too much farther because they weren't 
working together with say or they were intersparring or warring or warring with other clans they were just preoccupied with other stuff not their fault so from 900 AD until the Spanish conquest. So in, in this midpoint between the collapse of the Mayan Empire and Spanish conquest, the land divided between tribal regions or states, mainly between the Quiche, Cochical, Tuujil, Chajoma, Mom, Pocomom, and Pipil people. All of these people, except the Pipil people, are descended from the Maya, and the Pipil are actually related to the Aztecs. They don't come up again in, in my timeline. Okay. But it's worth knowing that these people are all descended from the Maya. They just kind of divided and started working on their own shit. And as mentioned before, their weapons were rudimentary, made of Osbadian wood. They're beautiful weapons, too. It doesn't look... When I say rudimentary weapons, I mean that they're not making swords or any kind of gun craft or anything. But they're... They're using what they have. So they're also making things like wooden pikes and spears, stuff like that. And frankly, it's all that they would need to fight each other. They're not anticipating, let's say, a great European power with advanced technology. Yeah, people with horses and plate mail. and Right. This is in El Dorado times. I don't know what yeah. they're talking about. So the Spanish conquest. This is where things really get bad. In 1502, Christopher Columbus... Sails past Guatemala to oh, Panama. Thank, oh, thank God! <laughs> so he didn't land there, but it doesn't—it doesn't get good for them. Anyway, it's actually pretty much just as bad. Uh, with Cortez's second in command, Pedro de Alvarado. Um, also, Brad, I know that you played Age of Empires three. I will say Pedro de Alvarado was my preferred explorer at the time, and now I regret it. Wow, Kiki. Because that guy was Shameful. a total bastard. Yep. He was a real dick. Anyway, Alvarado had entered Guatemala from Soconusco on the Pacific Lowlands, headed for Zetutl Humbaz Zapotician. So what he did is he allied himself with rival tribes and natives to basically swarm the... Uh, the Guatemalan people and those tribes there. What a dick. Uh, so he allied himself with the Cacchichol nation to fight against their traditional rivals, the Quiche. The Conquistor started his conquest in Zepau Olintepeque, defeating Quiche's 72,000 men, led by Tacun Uman. Now you should know that Tacun Uman, he was the last leader or king of the Quiche Mayan people, and he was made a national hero in 1960. So he was kind of a big guy, except for uh, they beat him. Uh, And he then Alvarado went to Kuumarkai, which is also called Utatian, the Quiche capital, burned it down on March 7th, 1522. He then proceeded to Eximche and then made a base there in Tichpan on the 25th of July, 1524. I don't get into these days as much as I am, but there they are. <laughs> there, he made the, several campaigns to other cities, including Chuitanamit, the capital of Chutsu Hills, uh, Mixco Viejo, the capital of the Pokemon, and Zakeliu, the capital of the Mom. And then he was named Captain General there in 1527, so it's a three-year excursion where he just ruined everything. Then, at that point, is when he turned on his native allies and battled them until they were subdued. What a dick. <laughs> He's just a giant asshole. 
Uh, he also brought with him tons of diseases, killing approximately 90% of indigenous people. 90%? Yeah, he really wiped him out with his smallpox, his other bullshit. I'm, I don't know, it was, it was, it was hard to read, um, but it's, it's good to know what people yeah. are capable of. And it's the reality of it. how yeah. far you can demonize and hurt native people like that. Anyway, life under Spanish conquest. So there's decades and centuries of exploitation, imposition of Spanish cultural standards, um, and what basically looks a lot like slave labor, or at least the imposition of a very feudal caste system, wherein native people were the most put upon uh, and the least respected people within the society that the Spanish made there. There are mass conversions to a Catholicism, the main religion of the Spanish, as we know, and European-style settlements everywhere. And then they made these race-based hierarchies with natives at the bottom and Europeans at the top. And then anybody who's kind of a combination of those or a mestizo person in the middle, uh, gaining in rank, the wider you get. So a big area, all these areas became agricultural ranges, cash crops and livestock. This also was the end of game hunting there when... Cows, pigs, chickens, and sometimes goats became the main animals there. Uh, I, I put in my notes also Age of Empires AF. <laughs> because if you ever played one of the newer Age of Empires games and you know that you're like implementing these farms, importing chickens and stuff, and you just take up more and more land and then eventually you get the option to, for deforestation, it, it's, a whole, it's a whole deal. You also have uh, Guns, Germs, and Steel written here, Jared Diamond. I was going to mention that earlier. I didn't I didn't want to steal your thunder, yes, though. Yes, I read that book and watched the documentary, and I would call this also, if it's Age of Empires AF, Gun, Germs, and Steel's AF, because this is the textbook yeah, it's... thing that they did. Uh, and I definitely recommend that as a doc series and as a book. You can learn a whole lot about how the, the Western world was formed out here. Uh, the city of Antigua, Guatemala, became a political and religious control center for most of Central America. This actually lasted for centuries, uh, and it's a, still a very prominent city today. It's still called Antigua? It's still called Antigua. Okay. Not to be confused with Antigua and Barbuda, Never. our country from several Never. weeks ago. <laughs> uh, but the capital moved to Guatemala City due to earthquakes after some time, because it is on a what's a tectonic plate yeah fault line where there there are volcanoes and earthquakes ring of fire pretty frequently and we'll get into what happened uh, there's only one a few weeks ago here uh and we'll get into that in our current events on my slide called into fucking pendants (laughs) (laughs) so i'll drink to that yeah uh, after we leave the mayan people in spanish conquest 200 some years later on september 15th 1821 significant date the Captain General of Central America, Gambino Gainza, signed the Act of Independence and declared independence from Spain. Fucking hooray. In 1823, they made the Central American Federation, so it consists of several countries within Central America, or modern countries, I should say, which was adopted from the U.S. Constitution, except for ahead of its time, abolished slavery. Well done. Uh, so this was 1823, so several years before. Uh, abolished the death penalty and stopped the restriction of religious orders on these communities and they instituted a public school system trial by jury and civil marriage so these were huge modernizing steps for central america uh, but in 1840 due to civil war and the rise of conservative leadership that'll end it <coughs> exactly 
Rafael Carrera, who was a swineherd turned highwayman turned I, political leader. I just I, I love that. That's a great opening line. <laughs> Carrera was a swineherd turned highwayman. <laughs> yeah. So he he raised an army, seized control of Guatemala, and then reversed all that progress that was made because things can't be good. Nope. Uh, and in 1851, he made a new constitution, which made him Guatemala's first president as an independent nation. So I guess, like, the good thing he did, if we look at it this way, is he made Guatemala its own country. But I don't know. That old constitution was looking pretty sweet. So a new country. Over the next century, power changed hands through military power rather than democracy. And we see a big player, which has a big, strong American influence, uh, which is the United Fruit Company. So the United Fruit Company was really running the show behind these dictatorships. Uh, it was called El Pupo, which means the octopus, because it just mm. had tentacles everywhere. They owned a strip of land in Guatemala for banana growing, um, which is when in the future we'll see the term banana republic. We'll get into a little bit of that future on. But it's important to know at this point, it's significant. And they had a ton of money. They built their own port in the on the coast. And their own railway system. Remember, United Fruit Company. And there we go, a nice period. It's called Ten Years of Spring, is what they called it. A dream of spring, Kiki. A dream of spring. It's never coming out, but... Never. Um, <laughs> but if we can, if, if the book will be anything like this Ten Years of Guatemalan Peace and Prosperity. But it'll be a good book if it ever comes out. <laughs> um, so... In 1941, a group of frustrated military men, students, labor leaders, and other liberals <laughs> overthrow the dictator Ubico and had 10 years of free speech, liberal reforms, and their first democratically elected civilian president, Juan Jose Arevalo. It was huge. <laughs> it was huge. Um, and just another note, students get things done. So I know that a lot of our students or our listeners are students because they're my Facebook friends. Right, so I'm glad handing this subscriber, sorry. Um, but everyone's welcome to listen to us. Anyway, in 1951, after the first universal suffrage election, the new president, Jacobo Arbenz, fought for a 1952 agrarian reform law that redistributed thousands of acres of unproductive land to 100,000 peasant families. I hope it lasts, Kiki. It seems like a really good idea. You know, if you have unproductive land and peasant workers without jobs that want to work it, you think? feed people, yeah. Yeah, that seems like a great idea after years of, com or of, uh, of dictatorships and, and oppression. But it doesn't last. <laughs> um, this slide is titled, What the Fuck, America? <laughs> Um, because that move actually really pissed off the United Fruit Company, which you'll remember, El Pulpo. Uh, because <laughs> El Pulpo. <laughs> that sounded a little bit Italian. <laughs> because they owned a lot of the land that was supposed to go to the peasants. And at the time, the director of the CIA sat on the United Fruit's board. And then he sponsored a fucking coup. And flew in Guatemala's new new government on a U.S. Air Force plane. Well, that's professional. Yeah, it kind of seems like one man's private interests changed the course of, of an entire country and threatened the lives of millions. No worry, that can never happen to an elected official, Kiki. <laughs> oh, but what do I know? Anyway, <laughs> my next note here is that they ruined everything. 
Because when I got to that part, I just started, I, I felt a little bit exhausted because I was really excited that Guatemala had a nice 10 years of, of things being okay for them. Anyway, from the 1950s to the 1930s, uh, planned authoritarian governments uh, that were elected through rigged elections and through more coups controlled everything. They had kind of a reign of terror. There's death squads in the streets that were killing anybody likely to act out, like religious leaders, students, wow. professors. Uh, yeah, just kind of keeping people scared. Around this time, 200,000 people died or disappeared. Jesus Christ. Uh, and in a quote by the president and army colonel at the time, he said, If it is necessary to turn a country into a cemetery in order to pacify it, I will not hesitate to do so. It's an American-backed guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty... It's pretty bleak and it's yeah. pretty sad for 30 years. And this is also a time of civil war where people are acting against the government, oh, wow. the government's acting against the people, and people keep trying to act out, but they're suppressed pretty quickly. In August of 1987, five Central American presidents met in Guatemala to sign the Accords for Firm and Lasting Peace. And after these accords, the 36-year civil war ended. The accords called for free elections, national reconciliation commissions, and... This was also during the Cold War, which affected Central America also. The rejection of foreign interference in Central American affairs. Yep. So GTFO America. <laughs> so from then to now, the military still held a ton of power in the early 90s. Uh, Catholic Bishop Juan Girardi, or Girardi was bludgeoned to death in his home after delivering a report that 80% of abuses in the country were caused by the military. Crimes really soared in 1996 because former military no longer had jobs, so they would just become highwaymen and rob people um, and commit petty or violent crimes because they had nothing else to do. Uh, and gang violence started as a problem then and is still a problem. Modern Guatemala. So, but things kind of kind of looking up, I would say. Okay. Um, despite the devastating earthquake of the Volcán de Fuego on June 3rd, 2018, so only a few weeks ago and maybe a month ago by the time this comes out, uh, it left 2,800 people homeless, 110 people dead, and nearly 200 missing. Um, but that's today. Other things happening in Guatemala. The main exports are still coffee, sugar, and bananas. I know that if you get a medium roast at Starbucks... Excuse me, or if you buy co uh, coffee by the bag, you're able to get an, a Guatemalan roast. I know that because I worked at Starbucks and I knew those coffees Insider pretty secrets. well. <laughs> uh, 31%. So I just have some bullet points here to give kind of like a picture if you know things about how to rank countries in terms of development. So 31% of the female population is illiterate and something like 30% of the total population also lives in poverty. Okay. So, I mean, when a third of your country is unable to make ends meet in any kind of way, there's some problems going on. Tourism is a big industry there, uh, but illiteracy and infant mortality are among the worst in the West and definitely in Central America. Um, the United States has a pretty large influx of Guatemalan immigrants trying to flee these situations. But again, there's some things happening at the American border right now that... Not the best time to try to come maybe, into yeah. the country, no. So that's what's happening in Guatemala. We're going to take our first break and then come back to me <laughs> in the flag corner. That's your favorite segment. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> See you then. <laughs> 
te partir un blues. Fuiste tú. ¿Qué más está decir que sobra decir tantas cosas? No aprendes a querer la espina o no aceptes rosa. Welcome back to the world as we know it. As is tradition, we're going to kick things back off at the trip to Kiki in the flag corner. <laughs> My favorite segment. <laughs> So the flag of Guatemala, or the Azul y Blanco, which means the blue and white, was adopted in 1871 when they, well, several years after they declared independence from Spain. But anyway, the flag is two blue panels on both sides of the flag with a white panel in the middle. The two panels sign, uh, signify the two oceans that Guatemala lies in between, the Pacific and the Atlantic Oceans. Oh, I love that. And the white signifies peace and purity. The flag also features the coat of arms of Guatemala in the middle, which feature a resplendent quetzal. I'm not just complimenting the quetzal, which is a bird. It's actually called the resplendent quetzal. And it deserves a signifier. It is a beautiful bird. It is, as one might call it, resplendent. Just a little burb. And it's a national bird. It sits upon a scroll depicting the date of independence from Spain. Also features two crossed rifles to signify preparedness for self-defense, two crossed swords which symbolize honor, and a bay laurel crown which symbolizes victory. It's actually one of three flags that feature a firearm on it. What are the others, Higgy? Mozambique and Haiti. Wow, you're, you know your flags. I really do. I really, really love flags. The colors and design are based on the former Federal Republic of Central American flag. So there's actually a few other flags in Central America that look similar to this guy. Uh, but that that's it. That's what I have in the flag corner. Please check it out on our blog to get a good visual for it. Also, just look up Resplendent Quetzal because it is a good-looking bird. It's gorgeous. It's resplendent. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so that takes us, uh, what, to which part, Brad? Right now we're going to get into a little bit of uh, politics and culture, but mostly any kind of in-depth discussion we have, anything we want to bring up. So I think I, like, I concluded my presentation a little bit about what the country looks like today in terms of illiteracy and infant mortality rates. Obviously, this volcano explosion is something huge that's happened um was it actual like spewing lava and like like a, like a hawaii style volcano from what i know and from what i've read it appears to be mostly ash that is killing people and piling up but that there is lava present pooling in the volcano um i'm not sure if the lava itself is is ex- is pooling out yet okay uh but i do know that guatemala also has 30 other volcanoes in the land it's very what's the word it's very volcanic volcanic yeah it's a volcanic land um a little more uh geography kind of stuff uh guatemalans lake lake uh atitlan atitlan there's not a c in there um (laughs) it's the deepest lake in central america with a maximum depth around 340 meters it's also considered a a really beautiful lake um some famous naturalists like alexander von humboldt and the author um aldous huxley remarked on the beauty of the lake hey i'm a big fan of aldous huxley brave new world yep that's actually the only book i know that he's he's written that i've read but i liked that book a lot he has some good short stories too um i have some interesting facts about guatemala i know you touched on the significance of jade masks to the old milk people old mech sorry yeah, the, um, <laughs> old mick people <laughs> old mick people um <laughs> 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 the only people had a civilization. <laughs> and on that civilization, they had 
<laughs> the largest deposits of jade in the world. Guatemala yeah. is the world's largest exporter of jade. Good turnaround on that one. And that's very interesting. Uh, I think it's a super high crime rate for Central America comparatively. Probably not a safe place to travel, but tourism is the second largest industry there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of running out of facts here. Um, there's some there's some interesting facts. Like they have three um, World Heritage sites, some UNESCO recognized. Those sites include uh, Antigua, Guatemala, which you touched on, uh, Tikal National Park, and the Archaeological Park in the ruins of Queriga. Some good um, pronunciation. And thank you. And more than 1.2 million people visit Guatemala each year. So you definitely have a um, that tourism industry. That's so cool. And as you might remember, one of my challenges that I introduced last week uh, was that instead of just talking at the end of episode about the personal books that I'm reading, I'm going to try to read books from authors uh, from, excuse me, the countries that we're talking about or about the countries that we're going to talk about that week. So this week, uh, I kind of did this week on, on shorter notice. So I'm only about a third of the way through. But I'm reading The Polish Boxer by Eduardo Helfon. He is a Guatemalan author who was educated in the United States, but now lives in Guatemala. And it's a lot of different overlapping stories from what I can tell at this point. Um, the author himself, Eduardo, is is a future. He's talking about some of his own experiences in his own life. Uh, but he's actually mentioned a lot of things about like Antigua, Guatemala, and, and visiting people there. One of the students that he's mentoring in the book is Mayan, and he visits his family, and they're speaking a different dialect, which is, of course, Mayan Spanish or, or Mayan proper. He goes to America to talk about a Mark Twain conference and talks about some of the differences between his culture uh, and what he sees going on in America. He's a literature author. It's just a very interesting book. Uh, I think next week maybe I'll be able to wrap it up in our final thoughts if you guys are curious on how this book ends or you can sure. talk to me about it on Twitter. But it's called The Polish Baker by Eduardo Helfon. Fascinating. Um, well, that kind of wraps up what we have as far as Guatemala in-depth discussion and culture. Um, so Kiki, but to take us out with your final familiarity ratings? Yeah, I I feel like I'm a six and a half now. I I feel like I I learned quite a bit. Um, so a two point increase from a four. Yes, I would like to go back and learn more about the individual cultures before Spanish conquest to kind of understand the differences between the cultures. Um, that descended from the Mayans, um, even the Aztecs and the other Olmec cultures in that area. I feel like there's a lot to learn there that we couldn't cover in this podcast. And I would like to know more about kind of what was happening in that Civil War era, um, other than it being terrifying. Yeah. There was also, I should should have mentioned this before, a Nobel Peace Prize winning author who released a memoir about her time living in, in Guatemala in Civil War era and, and the terrors that were happening to her and her family. So she won a Nobel Peace Prize for that, um, even though some of the facts were later debunked or challenged. Doesn't seem to matter. Uh, but that's kind of like if I were to go back and learn more, which I plan to do eventually, that's what I want to learn about. What about you, Brad? Um, so we also, I also started at a four for my rating, and I'm only going to give myself a 0.5 increase. To you a didn't four, think I helped you 4. learn 5. that much, Brad? Not a slight to you. It's more of a slide to myself. So, you know, with the history, I feel like I learned a lot. But something I feel like I'm lacking in, and this is kind of a perspective I've gained throughout the podcast, is we'll go to, like, faraway places, quote-unquote, like Cote d'Ivoire, Afghanistan, and learn more about them. And when you get so close to my own bo- like my own country, like the United States, it's Guatemala. It's, it's like, in our neck of the woods, quote-unquote. So I feel like either not just, like, visiting there, but I should know more about it. I feel like I should be more engaged with the culture. 
and I just feel like I have a lot of more work to do on my part to get that rating up since I'm so close and since it's part of the Americas. So 4.5. I've got some work to do. Podcast was a great start to getting there. Great. So we're going to take a final break before returning for our final thoughts, and then we'll wrap it up. Sounds great. Uh, welcome back to the World Sweet Note Podcast. We're going to finish up with some final thoughts. Brad, why don't you kick us off? So my final thoughts are going to be a bit of a current event. So just today, the U.S. announced it was going to leave the U.N. Council on Human Rights. Because according to Delegate Nikki Haley, it is a cesspool of political bias, which I'm sure is a well-adjusted viewpoint. And given the happenings now with U.S. immigration, it's not a political podcast. We're not really going to get into personal views, but I think it's a, it's a big moment when the U.S. decides to make a stand in the international stage with withdrawing itself from the Human Rights Council for pro-Israel reasons. That is uh, indeed a huge thing that's happening this is not a political podcast, and therefore, I will hold back my comments. Kiki's staying mum on the subject. I think it's a big current event. Um, Kiki, what's in your world going on? Well, I'm trying to think of something. It's been pretty dull here. Um, let's see. We have 13 current Twitter followers on the World As We Know It podcast Twitter, which is at the World Podcast. So I've been, uh, since our, our big launch yesterday actually if you're a tremendous affair don't don't do the math to figure out how we're recording these and when we're releasing them um but keeping up with that has been kind of a fun challenge to be the (laughs) social media captain i am the voice behind the twitter other things um well goodness summer is about halfway up for brad and i so we're gonna go back to school in the rest of after the rest of the summer so like what six to eight weeks that's how summer breaks work. <laughs> Works geeky. So I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> it's kind of sad that thing I most look forward to is several weeks away and it is school. <laughs> um, I wanted to give a shout out also to my best friend Hannah, who smashed her face in while riding her bike. Um, just know that we're thinking of you, even though your face is probably healed by now. While you're listening and recovering. <laughs> you're you're still beautiful, at least on the inside. So, <laughs> I guess that wraps up current events for me. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The War As We Know It. Catch us next week for our next country, Japan! Japan. Uh, and in the meantime, you can follow us at our blog at the World As We Know It podcast at wordpress.com where you'll find our sources for every episode, ideally, as long as we update it on time. And you can find us as on the aforementioned Twitter account, which is the World Podcast. Uh, please give us a follow. Tell your friends give us a follow. You can also rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. That would help us out a lot because, as you know, Brad and I are only in this for the money and the fame. Yeah. Uh, and if you give us a five-star rating and a comment, we will read your comment online. Like yeah. Brad's comment this week, this podcast is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I cannot wait until the rest of the podcast 
happens. And I'm like, that sounds that's a great comment, Brad. I totally wrote so that and I gave it a five star rating to increase my attractiveness. You know, and I I'm gonna put you at a nine point eight on the hot scale. Nice. I mean, if I didn't know you and I just read that comment, I tell ya. But I she would, does, and sadly. Yeah. <laughs> I would definitely say this guy's probably hot. So please, please give us a comment and a rating and a subscribe. We will see you next week. And until then, adios. adios.